Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Matt Swain, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning we're uh, continuing in our series on reaching out. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to have been able to, uh, to do this series. Um, and this morning uh, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, uh, you know, Lori and I spent seven years in Spain on the mission field before uh, coming to Harvest. And one of the things, uh, when you're a missionary, uh, raising support is generally a big part of what it means to be a missionary. And, and I'll tell you very honestly, as a missionary, that was always my least favorite part of doing cross-cultural ministry. I didn't mind going and meeting churches and meeting people and, uh, and talking to people from back home about our ministry. But I always dreaded when I had to ever talk about money because I was like, oh, man, they're gonna, I don't want them to think we're about money because that's not what we're about. Um, and so I always thought, if I ever get a chance where I'm not doing missions anymore, I'm going to speak out on behalf of people that are doing missions and just kind of give you some insight into what it's like for them. Because I'll have all the freedom in the world, because it's not benefiting me at all to talk about giving money to missions, but it's benefiting others. And so, to this morning, that is a little bit of my hope in, in this sermon, is that we can take a look at Paul and his life, and how, how he experienced the generosity of others. Um, and also, I'm going to hopefully share from our life some ways that we were really blessed and some ways that you can use both Paul's example and ours uh, to think about ways that you can bless those who are doing ministry all around the world. So turn to Philippians 4, verses 10, verses 10 through 20. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, um, and it's really a thank you note. Uh, one of the things I was amazed by as I was reading through this is I've written a lot of thank you notes in my life, and I don't think any of my thank you notes are worth hanging on to, let alone hanging on to for 2,000 years. This is probably one of the most eloquently written thank you notes I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not just, it's so much more than a thank you note. It's, it has teaching and it has encouragement and it has uh, greetings and it has so much in this one letter. It's, but it's basically a letter to the Philippians thanking them for the way that they've been supporting Paul and his ministry. So we're going to focus on the, the last section uh, of the letter where Paul gives his thanks. And this is what he says in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied, and now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus." 
To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Philippian church was one of the very first churches that Paul, Paul planted in his missionary journeys. Uh, if, if you know much about Paul, he was sent out by the early church, and he went all throughout the Roman world, starting churches everywhere he went. And so the Philippians were one of the, that was one of the first people groups, the first places that he went to, and was one of the first churches that he started. And during uh, the rest of his ministries, there were times where he would, be, he would be traveling all over the place. And I think Paul is a pretty hard person to keep up with. Uh, back at that time, they had, they had messengers and different things like that, but they didn't have internet and telephones and news and, and tel- all these different really efficient ways to keep in contact. So Paul would take off, and the church would kind of be keep in touch with him for a while, and then he'd kind of just disappear. Um, and so what the church would do is they would kind of, after a few years, they hadn't heard from Paul, they would send somebody out like, why don't we go look for Paul, see what he's up to. And somebody would go and look and they'd find, oh, have you seen Paul lately? And they'd find a church that he'd started and they'd say, oh yeah, he was just here like three months ago. I think he went that way. And so they'd kind of catch up with him and they'd say, hey, Paul, how are you doing? What do you need? What are your needs? How can our church be involved with what you're doing? And so then that person would go back to the church and say, hey, we found Paul. This is what he's doing. This is what he's up to. These are some of the things he needs. This is how we can be, be part of what he's doing. And then, and then Paul would move and move and move, and, and they eventually they would lose, lose touch with him again. And this was at a, a time where there had been a season where Paul had disappeared because he had been traveling, and, and, and uh, they just lost contact with him. Uh, and then finally they, found, they caught up with him. They found out. They heard that Paul was in a Roman prison. And when they heard that, they were, they were like, wow, we really need to do something to help him. And so the Philippian church wasn't a very wealthy church, but they were a very generous church. When they heard that Paul was in prison, they sent him uh, clothing and, and food and different supplies that he would need to keep warm and keep uh, keep what he needed in prison. Because uh, at that time, when you're in prison, it was up to you to still provide for your own needs. You were in prison, you were on your own, and so you had to rely on friends and family to support you and to take care of you. And so when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison, they took up a special collection, a special offering, and they sent him the supplies. And that is what generated this letter back to them. The mission agency that Lori and I went to Spain with, um, after a couple years out, they, they re, re, uh, redid their entire website, and they came out with this really catchy slogan, and it was kind of cool. They had these uh, two Gs back-to-back, um, and it said, Go or Give. And uh, it was really cool, and it, and it had a really, I don't know, it was really catchy, really simple, really pithy, um, but it was basically the idea of, you know, on some level, you need to be part of missions. So you have two choices, either, either just go but maybe you can't go right now. So even if you can't go, anybody can give and be part of missions in that way. And I've thought about this over the years, and I think that's a fine slogan. I think it's good. Uh, but I, you know, I think that it kind of leaves out, if, if, if we take that on entirely, it kind of wipes out the past four Sundays that we talked about. Because the past four Sundays, I was talking about how, as a church, if you're a Christian, you're called to go. No one is called to not go. Now, for those of you who are thinking, I don't know if I want to go. What, what some of the things we talked about was even going in your neighborhood, even going in your work, even going in your school. We're all called to step out in ministry wherever we are. So going isn't really a choice. It's not go or give. The real slogan should be go and give. Okay, we're called to both sides. Um, as we think about what it means to go and to give... Um, you know, sometimes with giving, it seems like 
we think, well, you know, I, and I'm, I'm saying this from my own self, like we often think as we give, we're giving a part of what we have, a portion of what we get, we give to God. But, you know, as we think about what that means and we really step back and think about our resources and what we have, I believe that that is a backwards way to look at what our res- at our resources. Think about it, for example, most of us, most Christians, before they, before they eat a meal, they sit down and they pray and they thank God. What's the purpose of that? Why do we do that? Is it just a meaningless ritual? Sometimes. Is it just empty words? Maybe. But what is the purpose? What is the root of praying? Why, why do we pray? What is the importance of praying before our meals? Well, we often call it giving thanks. We're thankful because praying before our meals is symbolic of the fact that we realize that everything we have comes from God. All of our resources, everything that, that we've been given, all of our finances, all of our, 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 our house, our money, our clothing, it comes from God. So the food, even when we sit down, the food that we eat, food is a relatively small cost in, in the lifestyles of most Americans these days. But still, when we sit down and we take this food, we say, you know what, Lord? Even this and this food that we have, we recognize that it comes from you. And that ultimately, this is your gift to us. So when we pray, it should resemble what it means to have a thankful heart. And it should resemble what it means to have a proper perspective of our resources. It should say that everything we have comes from God. When we have that tweaked perspective in our lives, no longer are we giving a portion of what we have back to God. But we're thinking, everything I have belongs to God. Do you see the, the, the small paradigm shift in that? If we think that we give God a small percentage of what we have, that, that, that that's his allotment and the rest is ours, we have it backwards. God has given us everything we have. Every, all the resources, everything we have comes from him. And out of that, we, if we truly understand it, it's not that we want to give a, a small amount of it. It's we want to give generously out of how we've been blessed. Christian tradition has always had a, had a history of giving, had a history of generosity. If you could turn to Acts 2 with me, um, we'll start with the early church. These guys have just come out of see, witnessing the life and ministry of Jesus. A lot of them saw him ascend up into heaven on a cloud. And immediately after Jesus ascent into heaven, this is what happened in the early church. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, a lot of times we we, we read over this passage really quickly because it's very scary to us today. When we read this, this phrase where it says, they held everything in common, we were like, whoa, immediately we start to think of like communism or socialism, and, and it brings up a lot of bad, uh, bad images in our mind because we've seen these systems abused. The early church was very extreme, 
But it was extreme out of its love. And out of its love, the love that they had for one another, they were very generous. So they gave extremely of their resources. They gave extremely of their time. But this wasn't something that they did out of uh, just mere duty or obligation or out of some new social project they were trying to do. It came out of their love and their genuine uh, understanding of how their resources weren't really theirs, but they belonged to God. And out of this understanding and this understanding of who God was, they were very generous with one another, even to the point of holding everything in common because they said, you know what? What's mine is not really mine. What's mine is God's. And so what's God's belongs not just to me, but to all of you. They were so extreme in the ways that they reached up. They, they were very sincere in their, in their connection with God. They were very extreme in the ways that they reached across to one another and they shared with one another. Other, one another. And they were very extreme in their ways that they gave and sent, to, uh, sent people into the, uh, to the farthest reaches of the earth as they knew it. You know, all Christians are part of what it means to give. Um, but I have some examples of, uh, for missionaries, you may not know this, but even missionaries, the missionaries at least that I have experienced and encountered, uh, they also are also givers. Um, one of the things uh, before we went to the mission field is we set up a budget for ourselves. And in our budget, we factored in a tithe. And we sat down with um, an accountant from our, our home church, and he was like, uh, I don't think you need to raise money to to give away money he's like you you know because everyone's giving to you so you can just kind of not worry about that section because you you know you're the receivers and Lori and i are like what no we want to give too like that's part of as far as we understand it part of when we receive a blessing we can't help but want to give to others so even in our budgeting even when things were tough we still wanted to give out of what we received because we felt like that is what it means to be a follower of christ and I have seen missionaries be so generous with one another. And maybe it's because they realize what it means to, to live on the edge. But I have seen missionaries give large monthly contributions to other missionaries that they know that are in need. And uh, I think a lot of this comes out of seeing it firsthand and knowing the, the real needs that are out on the fields. And, uh, and so missionaries even, the people that we think of as the receivers... They, too, see their lives as lives of giving, even in their resources and their finances. So let's look at verse 10, Philippians 10. Paul said that the Philippians caused Paul to rejoice greatly in the Lord. Our concern and care for others causes God to be rejoiced. As we think about ways that... uh, that people are praising God and glorifying Him, that is, a, that is one of our, our highest callings as Christians, is that God will be glorified. As we're giving to those who are doing God's work and God's ministry around the world, you may not know it, you may not hear it, but I guarantee you that rejoicing is going on in those homes and those households when, when that money comes in or those prayers come in. Those people are saying, wow, praise God. He's still supplying our needs. He's still meeting our needs. When Lori and I first moved to the field, uh, I checked our finances almost religiously, like almost every day. I'd go go to the computer, open up the screen, and look at it. Be like, oh, okay. So we had this come in, this come in. Oh, this people they didn't give. Oh, what shall we do? What should we do? I have to write them a little note or something, remind them. And I was so uh, I was so nervous about the whole thing. And I don't know, a couple a couple months in, you know, I was like, I, I was thinking I, this reminds me of the uh, Israelites, uh, right when they first uh, left 
Egypt and they started wandering through the desert, God said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And uh, he's like, every morning the stuff's going to come outside. It's going to be white and flaky and kind of sweet and good. And, and people, go, they walked out, they're like, what is it? And they ended up calling it, what is it? They didn't know what it was. That's what manna means. What is it? Um, but they liked it. It tasted good and they ate it. The thing was with manna was you couldn't keep it till the next day because it was rot and spoil and smell bad and get maggots and it was gross. So you, every day you went out and there was only enough manna for that day. And so you just had to every morning trust that when you went outside, what you needed was going to be there. Living on the mission field felt a lot to me like what it must be like to be an Israelite. Because every day I'd go to the computer, open up the screen and like, what's there? What is it? What's happening? And I was always surprised at how faithful God was to supply our needs. Um, and after a while, I stopped checking every day. And I stopped being so obsessive about whether or not that was going to be there. Because I knew God's going to take care of our needs. And I don't need to worry about it as much. But after some time of thinking about it, I was like, you know what? Like, this isn't just for people that live on support. This is really, you know, as... As Christians, whether we have a full-time job that pays us our entire salary or whether we have a full-time job where we have hundreds of people um, that pool their money to, to help us raise our, our salary, either way, we have to trust in God. And I was like, wow, you know, whether or not I'm living on support on the mission field or have a salary at some other job in the States, I need to be trusting that God's going to supply my needs and he's going to take care of me regardless. You know, I think sometimes it's so easy to, to not trust God. We all have a tendency to be like the Israelites. We all have a tendency to be nervous about whether our finances are going to be enough, whether they're going to help us make it through, whether we're going to be able to, to, to do the things that we need to do. But God will supply our needs and take care of us. As we are generous with our support, it will cause others to rejoice. Um, as a missionary, uh, Lori and I had uh, several experiences where, where we were just totally blown away by the generosity of God's people. But I, I thought of some, sp- some specific ones where harvest caused us to rejoice, and I wanted to share those with you today. I think one of the things, uh, one of the ways that harvest most uh, deeply affected us when we were on the mission field was um, every couple of months I get a call from Peter Yu or an email, and uh, he would email me and say, Hey, this weekend, we're praying for you guys at church. The entire church is going to pray for you. We want to know, how are you doing? How's your family? How's your ministry? How can we be praying for you? And that was one of the most powerful things that happened to us on the mission field. That happened regularly, and we always felt so supported. And we knew that there was a church behind us that was praying for us. And believe it or not, it was rare to have people email us and ask us, how can we pray for you? And we knew that Harvest was standing behind us and they were standing behind us in prayer. So as we do kingdom prayers on Sunday morning, it's not an empty ritual. It is not some words that we just, we just do to just to add time to the service. It is a powerful part of our time together, a powerful part of our worship, and a powerful part of reaching uh, the world for Christ and encouraging those who are. Uh, on a physical level, uh, we, we met uh, some Korean girls Right away when we moved to Spain, they were in my Spanish class. Uh, and I didn't speak Korean other than like a few greetings. And, and uh, they didn't speak English. So our only common language was Spanish. Uh, and we were having like Bible studies and prayer times in our home. Um, 
but but we felt like you know the Spanish Bibles they weren't really engaging them. And so I emailed Pastor Dave and I said, "Hey, look, we have these Korean girls, and we were wondering, you know, do, can you get your hands on a Korean Bible anyhow, anyway, and so we can uh, use that?" And, and uh, he said, "Wow, you know, Korean Bibles are." are hard to come by, but I'll see if I can find one. And so he did. He found one and sent it to us, and we gave it to them. Uh, and it was through the generosity of the church and through the, through the resources of the church that they were, and their generosity that we were able to, to connect with these girls. And obviously, uh, finances. You know, Harvest blessed us. Many churches blessed us. Many people blessed us uh, financially. And I think finances are, are good, and they're helpful in the mission field. But the, the thing that's amazing with finances is you know that Jesus said, where your money is, there will your heart be also. And, uh, you know, whenever people were supporting us through fin- finances, we were like, man, you know, the, as they're supporting us, we know that they are engaged in what we're doing. We know that they're praying. We know that they're, on some level, that they are feeling compelled to be part of this ministry and part of what God is doing here. In verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is merely being satisfied with what one is or what one has, not wanting more or anything else. Paul is an awesome example of this. He is kind of like the super missionary. Like every missionary looks at Paul and is like, wow, this guy is amazing. Like he doesn't complain he doesn't worry about his finances. At least, he doesn't appear that he worries, even when he's like starving to death or in prison or whatever. Uh, he works diligently. He figures out ways to make money on his own because he really doesn't want to burden the churches. He really sincerely doesn't want to burden people because he knows that he can make a tent and get some cash, but he knows that there's some other missionaries that don't know how to make tents and they need some help. And so he's like, you know, help those guys. I can, I can take care of myself. Paul was a very self-sacrificing person, and he learned contentment. Contentment affects how we view our resources. The way we see our finances, the way we live our life, affects how we use what we have. If we are discontent with what we have or what, what we, um, who we are, it causes us to, in a twisted way, use our resources to try to fill ourselves and try to make ourselves content. That is the whole idea behind advertising, is to make us not want or not feel content in who we are or what we have. It's always tried to, to, to uh, tempt us into something new or something uh, different or to be something more than what we are, but not necessarily in a healthy way. It's, it's, it's trying to uh, tempt us at that level where we're discontent and, and make us and hope that we're that we strive for something that's not going to fill that hole. There's a story of a, a rich industrialist who was disturbed one day, he found a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. He said, hey, why aren't you out there fishing? And the fisherman said, because I've already caught enough fish for today. And the industrialist said, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And the fisherman said, what would I do with them? And he said, you could earn some more money. And, you know, you could buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. And you could purchase nylon nets and even more catch even more fish, and you could make some more money. And then soon after, you'd have a fleet of boats, and you'd be rich just like me. And the fisherman asked, then what would I do? He said, you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing right now? 
You know, sometimes our priorities get out of whack. And we start chasing things, thinking they'll fulfill us. Paul realized that the chasing of those things are not really what's going to fulfill us. And Paul wanted to pass this on to the Philippians, saying, you know, I really appreciate the way that you're blessing me, and it has been a sincere blessing. But realize that our contentment not, comes not in the things that we have, but it comes in the way that we live our lives. In verse, 15, verse 14, the Philippians share in Paul's troubles. When we share in the troubles of other people, it moves us into action. I think about some recent examples here in Harvest. Uh, you know, when we hear stories of, of uh, needing a, a, a surgical theater or somebody in financial need, it moves us to physical action. It causes us either to raise money or send people or do things physically to help people out that, because we want to share with them in their burden. There's also a spiritual facet, facet to this, a side of that there are times in our lives where when we want to share in somebody's troubles, we can't physically do anything to help them. And, I, you know, the thing that comes to mind to me is the recent events in Kenya. You know, there was some political turmoil. Um, Steve and Betty were kind of trapped in this situation where it seemed dangerous, very dangerous from our point of view. I, I don't know what, what it was like for them. There was nothing on a physical, in a physical standpoint we could do. They were running low on supplies. They were running low on food. They were running low on money. But it wasn't for lack of wanting to help them that they couldn't, they couldn't get their needs met. It was that the situation was so dangerous and there was such turmoil in the country that their supplies, their resources, and, and things couldn't make it to them. And so we shared in their trouble as a church because we fervently prayed with them. We fervently sought the Lord on their behalf. That was the spiritual side of action, of sharing in somebody's trouble. You know, sometimes it's not possible to give, to share in someone's trouble. Sometimes there just isn't a way to get the resources to them. And it's in those times that we share in other ways. In verse 15, the Philippians were both giving and receiving. Now, this is really bizarre to think about as we think about missions. We kind of think of missions as giving. You give and you send. And Paul said, you know, you've been part of giving and receiving. When we step back from this and think about it, Paul did not see them giving to him as a one-way and a one-sided event. As we are participating with, with missionaries in ministry around the world, it's not one-sided. It's not us giving to them, us giving to them, us giving to them, us giving to them, and that's it. It's a two-way street. They also have the ability and uh, the calling to give back to us. I recently read a book, and it talked about how uh, this one tribe in Africa, as, uh, as their young men are getting to the age where they're on the verge of becoming adults, they, they have this, uh, this special ritual that they do um, that basically is, for them, the cross from childhood into adulthood. What they do is, every year, they send all the teenage boys of a certain age, they say, okay, it's time for you. You're going to go out into the wilderness, this group of guys, on your own, and you're going to survive in the wilderness for, I think it's like three months. So they send them out. They have a big ceremony, and they go, they send them out, and they're on their own, out in the wilderness with the wild animals and whatever supplies they can find and whatever they can do, and they survive. But they said, you know, these, these 
children leave the camp as children, but they return a very different group. And when they come back, they've grown into adults because they have learned what it means not only to survive, but as they leave their home culture and they go out, they are able to see their culture from a different perspective. They have different eyes on the way their culture works. And they said that when these young teenagers come back into the home and they're now adults, they said they often bring great insight into the tribe. And they bring a lot of ideas and new ways of doing things that are very healthy and very helpful to the tribe. And they they found that that has been one of the most strengthening things in this tribe. As missionaries go out and they leave their home culture, they, uh, they op- their eyes are open to some things in the culture that aren't biblical or that aren't following Christ in the way that it should be. Missionaries, if we listen to them, have great messages for us when they return. Ways that we, things that we can learn about our own culture. They can be like those, those students who, who as they, uh, as they left their tribe and came back, brought so much richness and brought so much new life and vitality to their tribes. Our missionaries, as they return, have a message for us. They have many messages. Sometimes we just have to ask them. In verse 15, Paul said, The Philippians were at times the only ones that were supporting him. That's amazing when you think about it. When you think about Paul and his ministry. They were one of the first churches that he started, and then he went, I don't know how many hundreds of miles, all throughout the Roman world, starting church after church after church, And he says, there were times where you were the only ones who were behind me in this ministry. You may not realize it, you may not feel like it, but there are times where you may be the only ones that are encouraging missionaries who are out on the field. Let me share with you some missionary statistics. It's estimated that 5.1% of career missionaries leave the mission field to return home every year. So every year, 5% of missionaries return home. Of those who leave, 71% of them leave for preventable reasons. If you estimate the current long-term international cross-cultural missionary force at 150,000 strong, a very conservative number, an annual loss of 5.1% would be 7,650 missionaries leaving the field each year for various reasons. And of the 7,000, 5,400 are leaving for reasons that could have been prevented. Now, each missionary has an individual story, and there's a lot that goes into that. But from a statistical standpoint, a lot of missionaries are coming home uh, because of preventable reasons. The author goes on to say that one of the biggest preventable reasons for leaving the field is lack of support. When missionaries go on the field, they leave behind their family, their church and support systems, friends, language, culture, worldview, home status, self-confidence, just to name a few. You may be the only one as you're encouraging some missionaries in some far-off place. You might not realize it, but you may be the only one that in recent months has sent them an email or said, hey, how are you doing? Or, hey, can we pray for you? You may be the only one. Hope not, but you may be. But you know what? God will use you and God will work through you. Even though you might not realize it, God can use you and work overseas to bring his gospel and to advance his gospel. The Philippians were aware of Paul's needs. They're very proactive. Um, we kind of have a, an idea, at least the way missions are set up now, we kind of, the responsibility is often placed on the missionaries to let us know of their needs. That's just the way it is. That's just the culture that we've developed. 
But imagine if as churches, not just Harvest, but as churches in the United States and around the world, what if we actively sought out our missionaries and said, hey, what are your needs this year? How can we help you? What can we do to bless you? If we as churches actively sought them out, imagine how much that would free their time to do the things that they really should be doing. The, the Philippians sought Paul out, and, uh, and because of that, they were able to encourage him in ways that were pretty uh, awesome and amazing. This happened to us on several occasions, but uh, one time our, ch- our home church in Ohio, um, I don't think we even found out till, till later, but they said, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're excited about this cafe that you guys are working at, and we want to be part of it. And so there were some artists in our church, and they started calling all of their artist friends. And they said, look, we have some friends in Spain. They're trying to start a cafe, and they need funds to start it. So all these artist friends got together every week, and they all did artwork with a Spanish theme. And they met week out and week out, and they would pray for us, and then they would do art. And this group not only became close to us because they were praying for us, but they became advocates for us in the church. And then they held this big art auction and sold all the stuff, and they sent us the proceeds. We didn't ask them to do that. We didn't tell them to do that. They were just very proactive, and they, uh, they sought out ways that they could bless us. The Philippian church was a great model for us of being a church that is proactive in supporting our missionaries. Verse 16, Paul says that the Philippians gave repeatedly, You sent me aid again and again. If you really want to help somebody who's in missions, if you really want to help somebody who's a missionary, this is really important. Just give regularly. Even if it's five bucks a month, give regularly. Often your, your salary depends on what comes in every month. So there would be some months where your salary is higher, some months where your salary is lower. You never know what your salary is going to be. It just depends on what comes in. If you want to bless a missionary, give regularly. Even if you think, I only have five bucks, it's not very much. We had one person that supported us $10 a month the entire seven years we were in Spain. If you looked across our entire ledger of all the people that supported us, that one person never missed a month. They gave us $10 every month our entire time we were in Spain. We... I can't tell you that that makes me like tear up inside and just like I'm just like amazed. They were so faithful and so so awesome in their support. They were very consistent. I don't think they had a lot to give, but they gave very faithfully. And that always encouraged me. Even if you don't have much, give regularly. The other reason I think we should give regularly is because I think that there's a high value on long term workers. Short-term teams are great and wonderful, and they have a place in missions. There's something very powerful about a person or people that have been willing to dedicate their lives long-term to getting to know people day in and day out. Honestly, it's not very glamorous most of the time. It's regular life. Things go on. You're just meeting people. You're having conversations. Life is very normal. But it is in that everyday life that as they learn the culture and learn the language, that they have a deep and full understanding of the people there, and they have the opportunity to share in ways that a short-term team never could possibly do. So as you give regularly to missionaries, uh, you're opening up the door for them to do long-term and very powerful work that will have eternal value. Paul says the, the Philippians will receive credit to their account. I don't think Paul's talking about financial credit or like he's not talking about like some books that he's keeping like 
track of who gave him how many sweaters and, and how many biscuits and stuff. He's saying, you know, your credit to your account is you've invested in me and in this ministry, and you, the, your account will be credited by the lives that are saved. When you get to eternity, when you are spending your time in eternity, you're going to be able to see the fruits of your investment. It's not just financial return, but it's lives that are being changed and saved as they, they follow the way of Jesus. And finally, Paul says that the Philippians have become a fragrant offering, an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to God. He's referring to the Old Testament systems of worship. A very important part of worship in the Old Testament, which I think we should revive, was they would, uh, they would burn incense and they would, like, they would cook, um, cook up some cows and, like, for the sacrifice. I don't think we need to do the sacrifices, but, man, imagine smelling barbecue on your way to church every morning and some incense and some candles. Like, and that was to them, that was a symbol of their worship, a symbol of, of their praise and their offerings going up to God. I mean, talk about a very tangible symbol. Like, you, as in your generosity, you smell beautiful. You have a gorgeous fragrance. It, it just makes me hungry, you know, when I, when, when I smell that. Uh, they say if you want to sell a house, I don't know if this is true, but they say if you want to sell a house, you need to bake some bread the morning before some potential buyers will walk in. Because there's something about fresh baked bread that, that smells warm and cozy and homey. So I don't know. I haven't ever done that. I haven't ever sold a house. If I do, I'll try it. But it makes sense. If you walk into a place and, it's, and it smells warm and inviting, you want to live there. If you walk into a place and it stinks or reeks, even if it's gorgeous, it's kind of like, I don't know, something's off. There must be something wrong with this place. So Paul is saying that through our acts of generosity, through our giving, we have a beautiful smell, a beautiful fragrance, a fragrance that, that pleases God and that is worthy of him. During my time at Harvest, there have been a few occasions where I've been part of times with Harvest that I felt like, you know, as a church man, this is one of those times where we are living out what it means to be a pleasing fragrance. Uh, last, last fall, we went with a small group to feed my starving children and all we did was pack food and put it in little sealable bags, and we sent it away. And, and the, the idea was to you know, pack up this special food for kids around the world who, who are starving, literally. And it wasn't anything glamorous. It was just food packaging, and it was a very, very nutritious but simple meal, and we packed up a lot of boxes of it. As we were doing it, though, I, I, I don't know. Normally, this only happens to me when I'm in like a worship service where like the, the, the worship is really good and the, you know, the music's really awesome and it like hits, hits you a certain way and you kind of get chills and you like feel God's pleasure on you. Well, while we were in the midst of this, of this food packing event, I had that exact same feeling. I was like, we're not singing a song right now. What's going on? I, it just, you know, to me, it just, it seemed like it was just God's pleasure at that moment. Like there was a f- pleasing fragrance. There was a, there was just something about that that was worshipful and, and that generosity was acceptable to God. Recently, uh, Crossing Borders spoke here, and they talked about some of the needs that they have as, as they uh, work with, with uh, orphan, orphan kids and, and refugees in, uh, in northern China. And uh, the next day, I found out that after the event, they raised, I think, $17,000 in just that one morning. And I tell you, like I was so overwhelmed by that. I was like, this is this is a really, I, I sense that same feeling of just God's being pleased and, and really uh, appreciative of the way that we live our lives in a sacrificial way. 
Uh, a few Sundays ago, we had the compassion table set up, um, and uh, I, I was talking with Ed afterwards, and he said, he said, you know, we only have one child left, and then by the end of that morning, the last child, somebody had taken them and, uh, as far as uh, some, something that they wanted to support. I was like, that is amazing. These are some ways, I think, that Harvest has living out and what it means to be an acceptable and pleasing fragrance to God. As I was thinking about these, I was like, I know I'm going to miss some. I know that there are ways that we're being pleasing and acceptable that I haven't seen that are maybe even invisible. Maybe we will never even see it on this side of heaven. But you know what? God appreciates those things, and God sees those things, and God is, is glorified when we are generous and when we are, are thinking of others. Finally, Paul says to the Philippians that God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. I have a sense that as Paul was writing to the, to the Philippians that like, he was a little overwhelmed by the generosity. And even though he, he really appreciated it, I think he was totally blessed by the fact that these were people that were pretty, pretty needy people in and the, of themselves, and yet they were so generous to him. And he wanted to remind them, look, you know what? God is going to take care of you too. God has not forgotten you guys. And uh, even, in, even in your giving, God is remembering you. Even though they were poor, they gave big. I think this is because the Philippians understand it, that even in their poverty, everything they had was God's. And they, re- they saw what they had as blessings. And they saw their blessings not as blessings that they should hoard and keep to themselves, but they knew that God blessed them so that they could bless others. And then the cool thing is that Paul reminded them, hey, you know, I know you did this out of your generosity, and don't forget, God cares about you, and your blessings will even return to you. This wasn't their motive. The Philippians weren't giving so that they could get something. They, they weren't giving so that they could make a lot more money. They were giving because they were generous. But Paul wanted to remind them, hey, even, even as you are blessing others, you will be blessed in return. Do you see how that goes full circle? We bless because God blessed us. And then God doesn't forget us. He still blesses us even more. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking as I was doing this, you know, man, the Philippians were awesome. I would love someday if somebody wrote me a letter like this or if somebody wrote our church a letter like this. I don't know if they ever will, but that would be awesome. So I was thinking, like, well, what are some practical ways in today's world, the way missions is done today, what are some ways that as a church that we can be like the Philippians? Well, first of all, we can contact a missionary. We can be proactive. And I would encourage this on a regular basis. Maybe, uh, you know, after we do a kingdom prayer, whatever missionary we pray for, Drop them an email. Hey, Peter and Kate, how are you guys doing? What, what's happening? Uh, just, a, just a side note. Depending on where they are, you need to be cautious of what you say in emails. So if you're not sure, ask me. Um, send them an email. You know, today's world, Skype is a free telephone internet service. Uh, almost every missionary I know loves it because you can talk to anyone in the world for free. All you need is an internet connection. So if you, if you have internet at your house... You can talk to missionaries. Ask them how they are. Ask them how you can pray for them. Be proactive. It doesn't even have to be about uh, finances or anything like that. It it can be about encouraging them. On a financial side, support a missionary faithfully. 
Even if, even if it's only $5 a month, you may say, I'm in college right now. You know, I mean, college is expensive. I, you know, I have lots of books and tuition and room and board. You know what? I think college students may have more expendable income than, than some of the rest of us. All of us have the ability to make sacrifices in our life if we choose to and, and give even a small amount to those who are on the mission field. And the, the, oftentimes, I believe we aren't necessarily always even doing this for them. A lot of times, as we give, it changes our own hearts. It opens us to what's going on in the world. I know that when I'm involved in a, in a certain missionary's life, I pay attention on Google News of what's going on in that country. I'm like, oh, wow, the, you know, the gas prices there just went up. I wonder how this is affecting them. Oh, wow, you know, the food, there's some food shortages. I should check them, email them and see if they're doing okay or if that's just, you know, like how, how is that affecting them in their lives? As you are giving, it, it compels you to share in the troubles of, of those who you're, you're part of. Inspire others to join you. Invite some friends to join you in giving. Maybe you feel like, you know, I can give, this is the max that I can give right now, and it doesn't feel like, oh, it doesn't feel like substantial. Uh, have you, has anybody watched The Big Give recently? I've watched a couple of episodes. That's Oprah's new show. Uh, she gives people like this challenge. She's like, I'm going to give you $10,000 and you have to give it to the, to the most amount of people and do the most amount of good and you have 24 hours to do it and, or something like that. And so you know, people are like trying to be creative. Some people are just like throwing out money like they're, they're, uh, at the grocery store. Some people are doing different things. I've noticed that the people that seem to do the best, they say, how can I take this 10000 and make it 100000 How can I take this 10000 and get you know 10 other ten other corporations or other people to join with me and magnify this. Because I'll say, look, I have this money, but if we all work together, we can magnify it. The same thing can happen as in the church. As we think about giving, if we can inspire others, we say, you know, I don't have a lot by myself, but if we work together, we can, we can really affect change in the life of this person. Maybe in your community group, maybe, uh, maybe among your friends. Maybe it's among, maybe you're an artist and you think, you know, I'll get some other artists to th- to, to use this to, to help, uh, you know, as they not only do their the, something they love, but they can do it with a, a deeper meaning and deeper purpose. Uh, I recently I was talking to a, a pastor of a local church, and, and we were talking about different things. And one of the things that we we were talking about, he's like, you know, he's like, whoa, he's like, I never thought about currency exchange. He's like, maybe he said instead of don't, giving our support to this person in dollars, what if we gave it to them in their local currency? Yeah, if you had given to Lori and I in our local currency, uh, when we first went to Spain, $85 cents bought a euro. When we left Spain, $1.27 bought a euro. We lost 50 cents of power in our currency while we were living overseas. Every year that we lived in Spain, we raised more dollars. And every year that we lived in Spain, we had less money. So if you want to really uh, see, have a better grasp of what it is to live on the field, give to the missionary, determine an amount that you want to give, and give to them in their currency. Every month as you give, you'll have to look on the exchange rates online, and you'll see whether this month you're going to give them more dollars or this month you're going to give them less dollars. But you'll give them a consistent amount. So that for them, instead of their, instead of their uh, salary fluctuating with the market, their salary will stay the same, but your giving will fluctuate with the market. So that's just an idea. It's just, it would be a lot more work, but it would be a fun way to think about giving as you would really have a grasp of what it means to, uh, to live across a currency exchange. It, connect your children to missions 
Um, I remember uh, hearing a missionary come. I don't know that this would happen today, but we had a missionary come to our school in third grade. It was a public school. Um, and there was a girl uh, who had lived in Spain, and her parents came back. And while they were home on furlough, the teachers asked, the, asked her parents to come in and just show us some pictures about Spain and tell us about Spain. And they didn't get too much into mission stuff, but I remember seeing pictures of balconies and pictures of Spanish stuff, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Spain's cool. Like, I was like, this is really interesting. But I remember that having an impact on my life, even in third grade. So as you're, as you're with your children, it's good to expose them to how God is working around the world. Unexpected gifts are awesome. You know, the best ones are the ones, like somebody read a really awesome novel, and like, this novel is so good, and they just send it. And you're like, you open up this box, and it's like, it's a book. You're like, what is this? And books are awesome because, you know, sometimes it's hard to find uh, um, English books or English books that are good um, when you're far away. So if you have a book or something, maybe you heard a new album, there's new music. You know, honestly, it's not all bad, but missionaries are kind of cut off from pop culture, so a lot of times they feel like really disconnected. If you see something, if you have a, a new album that you just love, send it. Just be generous in that way. And that will not only uh, be just like a nice gift, but it will help them feel connected to home. And uh, you, don't, you can't imagine the ways that that would encourage somebody. If you can, if you can afford it, go on a short trip. Go, uh, maybe, you're, uh, maybe you have a break in college. Maybe you have a break in the summer if you have time. You know, we always had people that would call us and say, hey, we want to come and volunteer. We want to come and help. You know, I have a couple of weeks. I have a couple of months. You know, I don't know Spanish. I can't do anything like this. But, you know, I'll come and I'll help you watch your kids. I'll come and I'll help you do something so that you can do some work while we're there. If you can do that, not only do you get to go to a, a, an interesting place, a place you may maybe have never been, but you're going to be a huge blessing to the people that are in the field. You'll be able to uh, encourage them and hopefully extend their time. And uh, Pastor Dave suggested this one recently at, at the prayer meeting, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Uh, but he was like, if you can afford it, he's like on vacation, vacation near some missionaries. He, he mentioned uh, Peter and Kate in Indonesia. He said there's some beautiful tropical islands and some places just north of where they live. And they said, if somebody comes up here, he said, they, we'll come up and we'll, we'll spend some time with them you know, for the weekend. They're, it's not something that they do all the time, but they would, they would love to hang out with you. But imagine getting to spend time on a tropical island, enjoying a vacation, and at the same time, encouraging somebody in their ministry for the Lord. Those are just some ideas. Uh, there's probably many more things you could do as you think about it. Over the past five weeks, we've looked at how God is a missionary God. God loves all peoples. He always has, and it has always been his desire to bring people from every tongue, tribe, and nation into his throne room to worship with him. He wants to have a right relationship with the world, and it is his purpose in this world to bring all peoples to him. He has called us to be a kingdom of priests. We are called to go and be priests. No matter where we live, no matter where we work, no matter what we do, no matter what our vocation is, we are all called to be priests in the ways that we live our lives. We are called to move into our neighborhoods. We're not just supposed to live in this world and and use it for our own uh, 
own glorification just to, to help us. We are here to serve the world that's around us. We are here to, to pour ourselves into our communities, into the people around us that God has put in our lives so that hopefully by the way that we live our lives and, and share with them that, that they will see God and his work in us and those want to glorify him and take part in it. We are called to go. And that could be maybe across the room, maybe across the fellowship halls to somebody that we've never seen before, maybe across the street to a neighbor we haven't yet met, maybe across the, the city to a, to a neighborhood that is in, in uh, dire need, maybe across the world to a people and place that have never, ever heard the word of Jesus Christ before. We are all called to go, um, and we need to be obedient to that. And we are invited to give. Our giving helps us connect with the heart of God for the nations. Our giving helps us serve. It helps us encourage and inspire our brothers and sisters. And our giving allows us to bless others out of our blessings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how you have blessed us as a church. And Lord, we thank you so much for the different missionaries and missions groups that are part of this church and that we are part of. We thank you for the ways that you are working around the world to bring your kingdom into this world through the lives of of orphans and refugees and missionaries and people serving in all capacities around the world. Lord, we pray that as a church that you will continue to stir in us a desire to reach out to those around us, starting in our neighborhoods and ending to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you will give us a burden and a desire to reach this world for you and for your glory. Lord, we pray that you will bless us so that we can be a blessing and that you will inspire us to show us how we can best be part in what you're doing in this world. And Lord, we pray that even as we're part of it, that we will encourage others and invite others to join us as we join you in your mission to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.